Today we're joined by Isabel Peck, CMO of Informa Connect. Informa is a member of the FTSE 100, with over 11,000 colleagues working in more than 30 countries worldwide. It's a business that champions the specialists, providing leading international events, intelligence and scholarly research across the world. In her role as CMO of the Informa Connect division, Isabel has been deeply involved with ensuring that the business embraces digital transformation and remains focused on providing excellent customer experience both digitally and physically across all of the events and training brands that fall under her wing. So welcome Isabel. Thank you very much. So we always start with these quick fire questions just to get you warmed up. So um, just answer the first thing that comes to your head. Okay. So city or countryside? <sighs> Tough one. Like both. City. Cats or dogs? Dogs. Winter or summer? Summer. Introvert or extrovert? Extrovert. Visual or verbal? Verbal. Train or plane? Plane. Read or listen? Read. Novel or business book? Oh, I know I should say business book, but I'm going to say novel. That's fine. <laughs> Indulge yourself in a novel while you're on the plane, <laughs> on your way to summer holiday. I guess my first question is, you currently hold position of CMO at Informa Connect, and it'd be good just to understand a little bit about your role in the business, um, what the division represents and stands for. Yes, Informa is divided into five different divisions. There's Informa Connect, where, where I work, Informa Tech, Informer Intelligence, Informer Markets, which is our exhibitions business, and Taylor and Francis, which is our academic publishing business. Um, Informer Connect is about um, connecting our customers with the knowledge and the people who are going to drive their businesses forward and also help them build their personal brands, their personal networks, and their individual learning so that they're ready for success moving forward. And then in terms of your day-to-day role, um, obviously that encompasses quite a wide range of different events and products yeah we have conferences training exhibitions um media businesses um and content so yes yeah, so there's there's an awful lot that we have across Informa connect so your role as cmo must be quite um varied and challenging yeah it's, it's quite a broad role <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so um i cover everything from brand and design through to data digital insight and analytics content social um, how we use search and optimize our digital presence, and also our telesales function, which delivers probably uh, you know a fair chunk of our revenue. Um, so, and the delegate revenue falls under me as well. So, um, at the end of the day, if we don't hit that number, I'm ultimately responsible. And I know that you obviously been in, in the business for over ten years, and interesting thing with your role is you've actually been quite deeply involved with that digital transformation program that's gone on with Informa Connect. Often what we see again and again is that marketing gets missed off the table, doesn't get invited to the table with digital transformation projects. I find that really interesting because really when you read anything about digital transformation, there's such a strong message about being obsessed about the customer And it feels like the people that are most knowledgeable about the customer are actually the marketing department. And it was interesting with the Informa project is that was seen and you were brought to the table. So it wasn't just the tech, you know, CTOs and the CIOs. It was actually like, you know, head of marketing was was there as well. Um, And it's just quite interesting, first of all, like, how did that happen? Did did someone foresee that or did you muscle your way in? Um, Probably a bit of a combination of both. So I sponsored the project. So, um, again, 
ultimately I was accountable for it. Um, and I did work really closely with the CTO on it. But I think part of the reason that, that it came under me was because I had more knowledge of the business at that point in time than anybody else did because I'd been with the business for several years. <laughs> and um, so I'd seen how it had evolved um, from the 90s through to, to where we were in 2014. I got quite an in-depth knowledge of the customers. I knew where a lot of the, the problems were within the business. So um, that's why... I headed that up. Um, you know, I'd, I'd met lots of our customers. I go to several of our events and, you know, I've, I've actually had conversations with them. So I, I know what their pain points are. Um, and I think that was recognized by the people who actually funded the project. And that's why I ended up sponsoring it. I guess from a, from a kickoff point of view, was it yourself or part of your team that spotted the initial challenge that you needed to transform? Or did it come from... Because obviously Inform was a massive company. Did it come from somewhere else in the business? I mean, I definitely knew that we needed to transform. But but actually, I think 2014 was a real transition period for us because we got a new CEO. So although I'd like to take the credit, I can't really. Um, so Stephen Carter came in as, as the new CEO. And, and then he went through a process of looking at our strategy, our structure, process, people, the technology that we had available to us, and isolating the problems and he also restructured the business at that time into the the five divisions that I've just spoken about and um he created he created a project a growth acceleration project um which um had a certain amount of money put aside for it and that was divided up between those businesses so that they um could look at that look internally at what they thought was required and then propose how they were going to use that best to move the business forward so we did that in conjunction with our with our partners at EY we looked at our, at our business and it became really clear that we had some massive holes I mean our structure in itself was a problem we were 28 different businesses each with their own managing director each with their own P&L um, each with their own web platform database um, processes and you know, although that had been really good up to a certain point in time, because there was a very entrepreneurial spirit, and um, you know, sometimes we actually ended up in situations where we were in competition with ourselves. So, although we were always going to win that competition because our comp competitor was a sister company, that's not actually ideal. Um, so, it became really clear that, that 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 wasn't a sustainable way of working moving forward. Um, we also just had some huge technology gaps. Like it was 2014, we couldn't take a proper payment online. We had no e-commerce facility. So the, the project started to become clearer and clearer what we needed to do. Um, but then we had to pitch for that money. So we didn't just get given, it didn't just get given to us. And, you know, we were held very accountable for how that money was spent all the way through the project. So there were stage gates um, put down where we had to to commit that we'd reach certain thresholds before we then got the next amount of money released and we had to show how we'd got there and the work that we'd undertaken the research that we'd done with our customers the development work that we'd undertaken and if that was successful then we got the next amount of money released so so we were you know it wasn't just a here's some money have a great time it was it was a very thought through I mean, it was quite a grueling process, actually, to, to go through that kind of business planning, uh, 
you know, proposal to to the we called them the uh, design authority that that was the committee that actually allocates the money um yeah and 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 i i felt that was a really good way of doing things um because it kept everybody on their toes and it made sure that we never lost sight of the end goal so it's almost like you had your own internal stakeholders within within the business that you had to be accountable for and had to deliver yeah it, it was like done. they were our venture capital company mm. and um and they were funding funding that project and expecting to see a return luckily we've managed to deliver one and in those early days what did you see with the main challenges were um well i think it was it was bringing all of those businesses together under one web platform so you know, our customers are transacting with us more and more and more digitally. So we needed to provide a platform where that was seamless and easy, where they could access the content they needed or the information they needed really painlessly. Um, well, that wasn't possible in our previous landscape because we had 28 different web platforms and, and they all had, they may have had some good things about them, but effectively they were managed by a very, very small group of people. So each platform had its own person who managed it. Um, if they weren't there, nothing happened. You know, uh, requests from the business were starting to queue up. And it was, it was almost who shouted loudest got their stuff done. Well, you know, not a sustainable way to work. So we had to move them onto one platform. That is the moment when you realize that despite intellectually everybody understanding that this is a really great idea... Um, no one wants to let go of their own thing. And, and so, you know, we went through a big process of change, explanation, communication with those stakeholders to guide them through the process so that they felt part of it and then were, were um, embracing of it rather than fighting against it. Because to bring everyone onto the same platform, not only did you have the challenge of everyone having their own web presence when you started, but they also had their own look and feel, their own brand, their own sort of style. Um, so it wasn't just a challenge of uh, let's just build a platform to get everyone on it. It's kind of each event had its own identity, essentially, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And if, and if you asked each individual business whether they liked their current website they'd all say no if you ask them whether they want to move on to something that's managed more centrally um, with a new design they say yes but actually letting go of that that sense of ownership for their events because people feel passionately about the events that they put together and they market and and the customers that they bring in which is fantastic and it's one of the things that we never want to lose from the business so we needed to create something that was flexible to give them that sense of ownership um, but consistent enough to give a coherent customer experience so that our customers could easily navigate through through the the different events that we have and and the content that we have that surrounds those events and keep returning keep coming back um, you can't just have lots and lots of different random looking brands sitting in one place and expect the customer to understand what the offer is um, so we had to we had to unify that whilst at the same time as I say allowing for that flexibility that that made everybody feel that that they still had control over their product so it's 2014, and at that time, there was far less commentary out there about digital transformation. It wasn't as, you know, right now you can't open up a business magazine without seeing something about digital transformation. And it's, you, 
you guys took quite an interesting approach in the sense of you decided to hire an ecosystem team. How did that go down? How did that conversation go down? Because that must have been quite challenging. It was challenging. Um, and we did have an ecosystem. So so we brought in lots of different um, businesses who helped um, us along that journey. But we contracted with EY. So actually they they were our main supplier for that, for the project. Um, you know, we had reservations about that because I wanted to feel that I could really relate to, to all the various people who are going to be working with us on the project. So knowing that we had to bring in, in a design agency, knowing we had to bring in a development team, if EY owns that project, they could actually bring in whoever they like under the terms of the contract. Um, but actually it was... It, the reality wasn't like that. It was really a partnership. So um, we we did everything together. So um, I met with the design agency. I met with the, well, you guys. Um, I met with um, the development team and I actually got the choice. So so it wasn't that they brought in one, one company and said, do you like these? That It didn't happen like that. I met with multiple. And, and so we were able to create the team that we felt would work best um and they and they did and and you know i think one of the happy byproducts of the entire project is some great relationships were built and and they they are sustained and exist to this day and were you ever nervous about um you touched a little bit about there about sort of they could have brought in their own team were you ever nervous um on who you hired because i'm guessing at that point you would have been working with EY for quite a while, um, establishing the business case, taking you together, you're on this journey of like what we need to do to change, what money we need to going out to the design authority to get sign off. And then you're like, right, we need to add some more companies to this mix so that we can deliver what we need mm. to. What was the real kind of pain points around that? Um yeah, I was really nervous about it. And and actually I I was lucky because, especially with the design team, um, I chose a different company to the ones that they would have chosen. But because we'd worked together for a while by then, um, and I, I hope that they trusted me in the same way that I trusted them, I just felt that, that the company that we picked, which was Nala, um, was a much, much better fit with us than, than something that was incredibly corporate and had done these things a million times before but but it was all very me too and I think that the EY team appreciated that and realized that actually that wasn't our culture and if we brought in companies who we didn't feel were were an appropriate fit yeah. for our for our group so yeah it was it was um a nervous time and also I, I was once those companies were on board I was desperately concerned that that they performed because I would have like a real idea they hadn't um, but luckily that wasn't the case and, and we had a great project. So did you feel it was a more effective way of working and having an ecosystem? Because there's obviously a lot of companies out there who do do a kind of complete package end-to-end that come in and say, we'll, we'll take your digital transformation, we'll guide you, we'll um, execute it all and you'll have your digital product all with us. Um, so do you feel that from your perspective and reflecting on how the journey's been, do you feel that actually bringing in different businesses and getting them to work together has been 
potentially more beneficial or or potentially more detrimental to the success? Definitely more beneficial. I don't think any company can be expert or excellent at everything. Um, so, you know, I'm sure there are great all-rounder companies out there, but we wanted people who are real experts in their field and could bring their passion and creativity and and make sure that that we ended up with the best possible result for our business. And I don't think that would have happened if we just worked with one business and, and that would have been it. Mm. And from the perspective of you hiring in all these different sort of teams of people, these experts, did you have to change any job roles internally? Did you have to hire in um, any sort of of your own experts that you wanted to stay with you and, and grow with the business? We didn't really do a lot of that. Um, there was one person that we brought in to help me with the project and she's actually still with the company to this day. Um, but apart from that, we really lent on our own resources. Um, and, and I actually think that was a really important part of the project to make sure that that the internal stakeholders, the people that were going to be impacted long-term by the effects of the project, were bought into it and felt that they they had a role to play. Um, now, obviously, you have to balance that with the fact they've got a day job. Um, so you can't just take people out of the business for hours on end. Um, but we have a lot of incredible people with great ideas that um, it would have been wrong not to have brought them into it because we'd have ended up with a poorer result um, without that input. So how did you balance that if they had a day, obviously they have their day-to-day role, you know, still got to deliver in X, Y, Z aspect. And then you're like, actually, I also want your insight and your involvement in in this other area. We tried to um, keep things on sh- to a schedule. So we'd carve out certain periods of time that we'd ask people to give to the project every week. Um, whether it's to review development that had been done. So, for example, every Wednesday afternoon we had a showcase um, and we would showcase everything that had been developed or in the last week plus what we were planning on doing moving forward, so the designs for that. And we'd take their feedback and their input. And um, they knew that that three to five on a Wednesday afternoon was was when we were going to need them. Now, we had ad hoc conversations with, with senior stakeholders and workshops but they were all scheduled in so they could manage manage that with their with their overall workload. Um, we didn't just pull people out of the business and say, oh, by the way, can you just come and spend tomorrow morning with me? Because that that wouldn't have been viable. We still had to make money while this process was was going on. Once the transformation was ready to kind of almost go live, so you've been working to build up this platform and it's been built and you've kind of had your regular showcases and everyone's, you know, sign off is at that point. How did you then switch from, okay, we're now ready to go live with our new platform, but here's your old platform. Did you run them in parallel or was there a phased in approach? It was a phased in approach. Um, I actually think that go live piece was quite, quite the challenge because we always were working towards a minimum viable product. So what's the, the least we can do, which we can put into the market, which will start giving us a better result. Um, And we worked to an agile framework. So we would develop something, test it with customers, iterate, and keep moving on with that cycle. Most of our internal stakeholders are very used to a more waterfall approach, right? We're now going to build a website. We'll come back to you in nine months and it'll be here. It wasn't like that. So we had to find an area of the company, which was actually our cell therapy event within our life sciences team, who are prepared to be 
the minimum viable product. So we got them on board um, and we created the initial website. And I think, to be honest, when we launched, I think a lot of people were underwhelmed because they would look at that site and say, well, yeah, it looks a lot better, but our current site does X, Y, Z, and this one doesn't. Um, and so why would we move? So we had to keep demonstrating that agile process and that, look, you know, next week we'll have this bit of functionality. Next week, next week, the week after that, we'll have another piece. And once we got to that minimum viable product stage and we got that, that event as it was on the market, started to show revenue coming in, started to compare the conversion rates that we were getting on that new site, which had been built um, customer first, as opposed to some of our legacy websites, which were, I don't want to say vanity projects, but they were basically what we felt the customers would respond to best rather than what the customers had demonstrated to us that they respond to best. So once we could show them that actually working in this way was was leading to an increased conversion rate, we were making more money, then actually we started getting the rest of the business coming on board. So we then created a rollout plan for the whole business. And we got to probably two or three months in, and we've now got about 350, 400 big conferences on there, plus learning products, plus content. Um, once we got to about 100 events, we stopped trying to convince people and started saying, right, this is going to be your your time, your cutover date. And we tried to do it sensitively. So obviously we didn't move a website for an event that was happening next week. That would have been pointless. Um, we tried to, to create a big schedule, look at when the event states were, look at what was already in market and work out whether it was worth waiting until the event was over or cutting over halfway through. But when we did cut over, we just turned off the old one and the new one. That's not to say we didn't take into consideration the search implications. We did a ton of work on optimizing the websites for search, making sure that um, the URLs were all um, pushed forward to, to the new one. There was, there was a lot of um, background work that went on to make sure that we didn't lose any of our search position. Um, but the big benefit of having one website with all of our events hanging off it is actually that very rapidly starts to gain search equity that an individual microsite doesn't have. Um, and so we started to get more visits, more sessions, conversion kept growing, and then it becomes a much easier sell. Recently, I've read quite a few articles on this kind of sensationalist titles of like, you know, 70% of digital transformations fail um, type angle. And it's quite interesting when you kind of look under the hood of that, it's all, how can you judge something that constantly needs to evolve and actually sometimes needs quite a few years to really embed and get a return mm. from and so it's it's great that you guys have got that perspective of like actually you know we've done the groundwork but you know we've got to stay ahead and we've got to keep looking and yeah. and and tweaking and polishing I mean I think I think when we started the project we we had two principles um, and we set those down and they were at the heart of absolutely everything we did for our digital transformation project and I would if I was doing this whole thing again, that was that would be the one thing I would definitely stick to. Um, and those two principles were we were going to make every decision through the lens of the customer. So if we had to choose between um, doing something that we thought would, would create a better customer experience or that would make our internal processes easier, we always chose the customer 
some of those decisions that decisions were quite hard to explain to people who'd been used to doing something in a in a very simplistic way and we were now going to make it more complex because we felt it would deliver a better customer experience but you know in terms of response rates and and the data that we have that I think that was definitely the right thing to do um, and the second dis- principle that we had was that we were only going to make data-driven decisions so um, if the data was saying we should do something, then we did it. Um, and if it didn't, then we binned it. And, you know, that was tough um, because because some people wanted certain things to be done in a particular way, but if the data didn't support it, it didn't happen. So there was some hard messaging that we had to, to, to deliver. But, you know, people understood it. And, and now I think that's become quite a firm principle of our business, data-driven decision-making, customer first. I like that, that that kind of tone has come across because it is really valid, right? It's kind of, especially in, in the world of sort of marketing, it's like it has to be based on what the data is saying. Yeah. I guess my only kind of slight challenge point of that is how does creativity come in to that, um, into that approach? I actually think that, that creativity helped drive that, the data positively. So, you know, I think the work that, that we did with you on design and the creation of the, the visual identity that we did around the events was pivotal because it create it was a combination of user experience and user interface, which led to a more simplistic customer journey. So the customers kind of were grounded in what they were meant to do. And I think design helped them in that process. Um, and, you know, we created a system, I think, which was incredibly flexible. And I know I've used that word before, but I think that that flexibility allows for um, really, really cool design. Um, you know, the way that we can interplay some of our graphics with our with our photography within the within the structure that you created can make things look fantastic. Um, and and I think that that the combination of that with the with the digital moving that customer through that journey to get them to the endpoint in the the most frictionless way possible um, was what one of the things that made the project such a success. So mm. I think you know I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I think data and design can actually go together really well. Yeah, it was the design that's driven the data in the right direction yeah. to then then show you the way forward. Yeah, um, and obviously with all that change. Um, obviously, many marketers across the world who are running their own individual events and we're moving them across onto this centralised platform and you've kind of touched a, a few points on it sort of being a challenge. How did you actually get that many people um, to be able to embrace the change that you, you needed them to um, in terms of you know, we're quite often focused on doing what's right for the customer and the customer experience is improving. But in your job role, you also had that challenge of, actually, I've got a load of really talented team that I want to keep, that I need to involve in this and actually get them to understand that this change is for the greater good and it will make everyone's lives better and easier because it makes our customers' lives easier. So in terms of, like, how did you go about, like, engaging those, those teams around the world? Yeah, I mean, that was the hardest part of the project, without doubt. You know, building the website and 
putting the new brand in and all of that in comparison to to the comms challenge and the change challenge around the project was was relatively easy um we had quite a lot of budget of the digital transformation budget allocated to change and you know I would say to anyone else who is doing this, you can't you can't underestimate it. You mm. have to factor that into to all of your costs um, because it's so important. You have to take people with you on that journey. We did um, everything we possibly could do to communicate what was going on and get people's buy-in, and I still don't feel it was enough. So we did um, workshops um, where we you know we got a lot of opinions and and put a lot of um of the collateral that we were putting together that we were then going to send to the design authority to get their input into it we we um did a lot of customer research with them we did the weekly showcases we would do drop-in days where we would literally paper the walls with all the all the material that we were putting together either for the design authority or for our um customers um it was just everywhere and then we would be there so that people could drop in have a look at it and um and ask us any questions they wanted to we did newsletters we did um presentations um there, there was a lot uh webinars um but you know still some people will feel that they haven't been communicated with you know even internally email open rates are not at 100 percent. so whatever you send out you you can't guarantee that it's been read or or engaged with so you know multiple media really important um you know combining the face-to-face with the digital um and also not always talking to big groups of people but actually spending the time with smaller groups of people so that you can really address their concerns and and talk them through the project and the process so i i think you have to look big and small digital um offline um drop-in centre, whatever whatever you can do to engage your stakeholders, you definitely should be doing if you want to have a successful project. And, and, and I think I think we took the majority with us, but definitely not all. Um, and there were there were some people that 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 we missed in that process and who didn't feel that 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 they'd had a voice and, and that's one of the things that makes me sad when I look back on it. The good thing is that now, now that we're through it and on, on the other side, um, some of those people are are the biggest um, cheerleaders now, mm. and you know if we, they wouldn't go back to to the way things were previously. And I think sometimes just people need to use the product, experience it, work with it to to really understand um, how it's going to make make positive change. And I guess they're seeing it in the data, the improvements in the customer experience, the feedback, the easier it is for people to buy tickets. Yeah, and and the easier it is now for our internal people. So I know I said earlier that that we made decisions um, for customers rather than our internal processes. But as time's gone on, we've been able to to put those slicker processes in place. So, you know, now I think, um, as you say, the data speaks for itself. We've tripled our conversion rates. Um, we've we're generating an increasing amount of our, our revenue through digital channels, um, but also the marketers own it. So they can make any change they want to immediately for, for their events or their content without any reference to technology people or to um, you know being put in a queue. Um, it's theirs. It's ownable. It's usable. Um, and they are 
you know, the, the, the picture of the product that's presented to the customer is entirely theirs. Mm. Um, so, so that's made a big change. And obviously the transformation complex on a global scale, were there any aspects that you felt went not as well as they could? And is there anything you would learn and, and, and do differently? I think it's back to that change piece mm. again. Um, that the actual delivery of the project went really well. You know, we, we hit all our budgets, we hit our timelines, we delivered a much, much better experience to our customers. Um, the challenging points were the internal stakeholder management. So if I could do it again, I would have built in more change right from the get-go. Um, and I think when we were doing a lot of the planning and the project initiation documents and business plans that we had to put together I think even right back at that stage um, I would have involved more people internally Um, and you know I don't want to make it sound like it was a a train smash or anything because that's not the case but um, you know you can always you could always have another cheerleader in the gang it was it's it's a good thing (laughs) yeah I mean the results have been phenomenal for you yeah, we're delighted. Um, you know, re- really phenomenal. Um, but I totally understand there's always always something you can improve on, you know. Even if you get an A in an exam, there's always something you could have done better. Definitely. So it's and good it's, to have that perspective. Yeah, and, and you know, it isn't over. Um, we've got a lot of plans moving forward to to look at our payment journeys and how we can can make those better. So it's it's an ongoing um, ongoing project and and we take all the learnings with us each time we do something into the next project. And I certainly learned a lot personally. I'd never managed anything like this previously. And, and it was a, a huge challenge. And I found that I really enjoyed it. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Just as well. I can imagine it being quite a big task, um, quite a challenge ahead, uh, being the main sponsor of this program. And feeling that sense of responsibility of needing to deliver, um, having all these different experts that you're kind of, in theory, handing over responsibility to complete certain aspects of work. But actually, at the end of the day, it, it comes back to back to you, the sponsor. It does. I was really lucky, though. I mean, we had an incredible team, both both the external um, partners and our internal partners. They, they were, you know, I can't speak highly enough of them. Um, I never felt that it was a, a supplier-customer relationship. I always felt like it was a partnership. And, you know, if I wasn't happy with something, there wasn't a problem about being able to raise issues or concerns, and we always got them addressed. And I think that was true on both sides. Many business leaders now talk about the importance of always learning, and you've mentioned that, about always evolving. It's kind of digital transformation never finishes. We're always learning and, and, and adapting. And same with, um, I guess, personal growth. And I was just interested in kind of your own um, knowledge. So I'm, I'm assuming back in 2014 that the words digital transformation may have been something relatively new in a you know, chief marketing officer's mind and world. <laughs> Definitely. So how did you upskill? How did you, um, you know, embrace these new ways of working? Did you read? Did you watch blogs? Did EY take you on that journey? I think EY played a big part in it. I, um, you know, I'm in awe of, of their skills and expertise. Um, you know, 
what they didn't know or weren't able to bring to it was the knowledge of our business. And I think I could definitely fill that gap. But I learned a lot from them and how they structure the project and how they they break it down to different components. Um, I think I learn from people. I, I'm not uh, an avid reader of business books. You know, don't get me wrong, I have read a few. But but that's n- not really how I learn. I prefer almost on-the-job learning. Um, that that kind of suits my style more. And and I've had the privilege to work with incredible people. So um, I feel that despite the fact I've been with the company for an awful long time, um, it's a constant journey and I am growing um, through exposure to those people and their ideas. And 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 everyone you come into to contact with has a different perspective on a situation. And, and that's always interesting. And you always learn from that. Um, and I... I think that's what that's how I grew through the project. Um, I certainly don't see myself as a finished article at all, and I, th- I think and I hope that I continue to learn from people as as I move through my career. So we always end on quite a funny one, um, just to get a sense of people's personality. So if you got stranded in Slough and only had one thing with you to pass the time, and that's not allowed to be your phone or a laptop. What would that be? So you're in Slough, four hours, you know, all trains are cancelled, no phone, oh my God. no laptop. What would I do? What would you do? What would I do? That's a really tough yeah, one. it's really hard. It's, it's really funny. Different what would you responses. do? <laughs> I would probably, or four hours, I'd probably just go for a really nice walk Well, or I was something. about to say that. Like, it's got to, you've got to be able to walk to some shops okay, I've if got you ask some directions. Okay, I'll shut up. How far slough from Reading? Oh, good question. I don't know. <laughs> so my son is at university in Reading. I might try and walk there. <laughs> Pop in for a cup of tea. Very good. So he's got some chocolate biscuits. I think it'd be quite a long walk. <laughs> Lovely to speak to you as well. Thank you for having me.